0: This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. For over 75 years, Ozark Christian College has been preparing students for ministry. Ozark's 15,000 alumni are serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world, carrying the gospel to every part of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. For more on Ozark's residential and online degrees, visit occ.edu. Welcome back. This is The Homeless Podcast. I am your host, Jared Ellis, thank you so much for listening. I want you to know I've been listening as well. Um, got some uh, correspondence from, from some of you saying, hey, we'd like to hear Stephen Mansfield, uh, specifically on some other topics, not just the preaching, not just the, the orator uh, or the homilist, but but about culture. And so we, we did the dang thing, and this is a, a bang-up conversation. Joining me on this episode is my friend Levi Wyrick. He is a stud. Physically, mentally, spiritually, he is a solid Christian dude. He runs the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Pittsburgh State University, where he is a, count them, two-sport athlete, and carries a 4.0 GPA. I introduced him to Steven when we started off the call, but I didn't start the recording until after that, so my bad, Levi. Stick around at the end of this this episode for, for a cool announcement, all right? Also, while you listen, I need you to open up your mind, open up your heart, and ask yourself a question. Here's why. Stephen's going to challenge you in a few areas. He may say some things that cause you to recoil a little bit. It may simply hurt your feelings. And that's okay. During this interview, I want you to let the Holy Spirit ask you a few questions, but I want you to ask yourself this question. It's the same question that one of the brothers from my men's group asked me. Where in your marriage in your parenting, or in your ministry, are you being passive? Where in your marriage, in your parenting, or in your ministry, are you being passive? All right, here's my conversation with Levi Wyrick and Stephen Mansfield. Stephen Mansfield, welcome back to the Homilist Podcast.
1: It's great to be with you again. Thank you.
0: This is really great. Thanks for doing it man. I'm excited. There's a uh, there was so much feedback. There was so much so many people who started messaging me like yo, like we are changing our whole plan and approach to youth ministry. We strapped kids in a van and we locked them up and drove to Colorado and made them listen to the podcast. We found everything. (laughs) We're reading them the book at night. I mean, they went bananas on it. They're like, I don't know what you can do, but get him back, have another conversation. But this time, talk about this and this. I'm like... <laughs> like I'll ask them all right That's not how I, I don't get to just tell people but I will I will ask them so thank you very much this is oh, uh, this is really cool my
1: privilege my privilege really uh,
0: this is really cool um so Levi just uh had, had read your book um which one was it it was it,
2: well I started out with in search of God and Guinness and I never read a book well I liked that it got me hooked and then I read a mansell's book manly men and that was like wow. Like, yeah. That's great.
1: I'm so glad changing. So
2: I'm so yeah. glad. Fantastic. It it uh I read the whole book and then I'm gonna go back and so football season's super stressful. Like, you know, they control your life. And so I'm gonna go back and at the end of every chapter, you know, that's gonna incorporate into my quiet time every week and really use that as a as a study guide and then I'm I'm looking forward to Lincoln, learn more about Lincoln. I'm kind of a history nerd, so Oh, it's that's great. Time. Thanks for saying that. It means a lot to me. Yeah, No, it's it's awesome. So it's really cool. That's really cool.
0: Well, um, here's one of the things that came rolling in to to my to my world after our last conversation. Um, a, a buddy of mine texted and he said, uh, hey, we need to we need to have a conversation with Stephen Mansfield specifically about um, masculinity, Jesus, current culture. Um, now, he would like the conversation to go a little deeper into some other things <laughs> I I'm, I'm on the side of like I don't want to put you in that spot I, I don't know that I want to be in that spot just yet having that conversation um, so let's talk about some of this other stuff first and we'll see how far we want to go cool. into great. some of those other ones so hey here's my first question is I'm as I'm thinking about what's going on in 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 current culture and within the church Uh not, not, not globally. I mean, you see some really great things happen in the church um, outside the United States and in the United States, but within the United States, you see a little bit of crisis in there. And one of the things that one of the things that occurs to me is, it seems like we have we have lost our um, uh, our grip on men. You what you typically see is women marching into church, and and men about six feet behind, kind of shuffling their. Their feet, like, well, if I don't go, then, you know, happy life. I mean, happy wife, happy life. You know, this kind of deal. And that's what you typically see. How did, uh, I mean, I think I understand how that happened, how we lost the grip on some of that. Uh, But when specifically did that begin to happen? If you could talk about both of those, that'd be super interesting.
1: Sure. Well, historically, uh, I think it happened in America. Let's just talk about the United States. Uh, There's a fantastic book called The Feminization of American Culture." By Anne, I believe her last name is Douglas. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really, I mean, it's academic, but it's something you got to read. And she she makes a case that I agree with. And that is when you get to the late 1800s and the frontier is starting to close, at, as they say, you know, they've had the battles with the Indians, we've gotten all the way to California, uh, you know, the, the frontier is closed. So, it's, so a young man's likely to be born and never have to fight for freedom, never have to fight for against an enemy, you know, never have to clear the land himself and so on. That happened at the same time as the rise of theological liberalism. What's interesting is mm-hmm. that Anne, Anne is not a Christian, uh, she's a Columbia University professor, but her, not that you can't be a Christian and be a Columbia <laughs> University professor, but um, she's she's not coming from our perspective, but she makes the point that with the rise of theological liberalism, you moved away from biblical norms, biblical foundations. And that this undermined american manhood and so that combined with the closing of the american frontier again uh, this is something that theodore roosevelt was worried about this is something that carl Jung was worried about this is something that many people uh, at that time were worried about and it's why for example theodore roosevelt wrote a lot about the strenuous life and how he wanted young men to throw themselves into a strenuous life build muscle <laughs> be strong be adventurous uh, don't be overly urban. He didn't mean that ethnically, obviously, in his day. Um, mm-hmm. Don't be overly cityfied. Is probably how the West would have said it. And uh, so keep your manhood, so to speak. Keep the keep all the things that makes a man real. And you know he had to overcome uh, horrible sickness and had to lift weights and work out and overcome a terrible uh, condition of asthma. So he knew what it was to master himself. And so that's that's where most historians peg it late eighteen hundreds. And uh, I've got a book called, a book called Manhood at Harvard. That's all about how, in the first decades of the 20th century, yeah. um, a lot of the professors at Harvard, like, again, Theodore Roosevelt was a student during that time, they're trying to recover manhood. They're trying to recover this lost manhood because they're experiencing a lot of feminized masculinity. And uh, I think it's because of those two things. That, uh, naturally speaking, the closing of the frontier... But Anne says it's because of theological liberalism and the loss of what you call muscular Christianity. Hmm. Uh, even the movie *Chariots of Fire* is about this muscular Christianity, and, and uh, you know Eric Little being a muscular Christian who could be ex- an example to the world.
0: Hmm. Do do you see do you see some of the things that are going on in the culture now? Why, why can't why can't some of the pastors reclaim some of this stuff where they are inside their churches? Why can't they do that?
1: Well. They can, and, and they should do it. And actually, uh, one of the... Ch- if, you, if you just all you care about is church growth, by the way, just pure church growth, uh, the statistics show that if you'll focus a church on drawing men, uh, that you'll you'll draw families as a whole. Whereas if you focus a church on women or children, you don't draw the family as a whole. Like, there are st- statistics behind that. But most, most pastors don't know how to lead um, a, a manly church, so to speak. They don't know how to... Uh, lead that from the pulpit. They hand off the men's ministry to somebody on the side, some kind of subculture within the church, um, and then they lead a kind of gender-neutral kind of worship experience uh, on Sunday mornings. It's not working, and that's where we get the the jokes. You know, a man eating lion would die of starvation in most churches. Or, you know, there aren't—and this is insulting—but there aren't uh, two genders. There are three: men, women, and preachers. You know, we've all heard those kinds of <laughs> insulting jokes. But it's because the church is often seen as a place that doesn't encourage noble masculinity. So pastors can do it, should do it, they don't teach it in seminaries, they don't teach it in Bible colleges, uh, and so most men are left to fish on their own, and most pastors, quite frankly, as they say in the South, hire it done, they just hand it off to somebody and pay them to take it, but it's not run from the core of the church, so it doesn't work, and it's why most ministries are boring to most men.
0: Yeah, um, the job itself, you've been in ministry before, I mean, you yes. were in ministry for years, and yes. So you can kind of you can kind of understand there is there is this weird thing that happens I think for and this is a preaching podcast and so one of the things that one of the things I think is valuable to talk about is there is a <clears throat> there is an estrangement between the normal job of a pastor or a preacher and your typical rural guy um, in the community. There's a there's a there's an honest you know difference. I mean there's a there's a kind of a chasm between yeah. those two things. And a guy can get to really feeling like, well, I mean, I sit in an office and I type all day. Other people are bucking hay bales and, you know, digging ditches and doing this kind of thing. But I'm doing, I don't really even feel like uh, a man. And I think that's kind of one of the things you address with your book. Manly men do manly things. And specifically, one of the things you say is this isn't about a list of things men do. It's that men do things. Manly things. They do manly things, you know. Um I, I, and that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. What can you talk about with that ministry in your own experience?
1: Well, I try to tell you that most men really, most pastors, quite frankly, they would be better pastors if they would not hide away in their office in time, but they would develop ha- uh, hobbies and a lifestyle that connects with the men in the church. Um, most pastors, I got to tell you, we have a huge amount of loss of clergy, loss of ministers in this country. Um, suicide's high, depression's mm. high, marital problems are high, the clergy's in trouble, to put it broadly. And I think, frankly, pastors would be better off, not just more relevant to men, but they'd be better off if they were out doing whatever, riding horses, hunting, fishing, uh, you know, lifting weights, playing racquetball, whatever it is, being a man. Uh, I think the, for most for most pastors, uh, I'm talking about male pastors now, the, the process of pastoring becomes a feminizing process. You work mainly with women. You lean Mm. towards the feminine. You lean towards the the less masculine side of who you are. So i got to tell you, the Mm. churches that I see that are the most successful is where the pastor, first of all, makes sure that he tends the manhood in his own life. And then second of all, gets connected to men at a man's level. I mean, that can be about riding a motorcycle. Ride it or don't. I don't care. I'm not trying to push things in that direction. Um, but but I, I know guys, pastors who ride motorcycles, and he connects with a lot of men in his church by riding a motorcycle. For other cultures and other parts of the country, it's something different. It's horses or it's tennis <clears> in <throat> California or whatever. The point is, uh, I think you're putting your finger on something very, very important. The average pastor does feel disconnected from the men in his church. and It's his fault. It's mm. his fault. You've got you've to negotiate your deal or whatever you got to do with the deacons or the elders and make sure you've got time to connect with men. Because if you'll lead that church from the pulpit uh, in a direction that's man-friendly, you will grow a strong church. You will have help and support. You won't have the depression and the suicide and the things entering into your own life, the isolation in your own life, and we'll have healthier churches.
0: Yeah. I need to tell you a brief story. I had, a, uh, had an existential crisis um, a couple weeks back. Um, thinking through some stuff, I'm, I'm admiring uh, there's a lot of good things going on in my life but I felt this kind of discontent just kind of kind of coming over the top of me and this is this is what's bad about it is this is where it happened I'm out back filling up my pool okay this is the, you wanna talk about you wanna talk about terrible problems in the world? Let me tell you about terrible problems in I'm the world. I'm
1: waiting for this to get bad. I'm
0: waiting okay. for this to get bad. Go ahead. Okay, so here it is. So the church that the church that I'm preaching at is doing well. Okay. It's doing real well. And we're we're expanding and we're putting in another campus with Levi and some of his people on that end. Okay. Great.
1: Great.
0: The podcast is going well. I mean, there's been, I mean, just really good. People are saying this is really fit, fitting, uh, I mean, filling a need. And so, th- so that's good. Um, I decided I was going to apply to grad school. Um, got accepted. And I mean, and I thought, yeah, we'll see. Maybe I want to dive in. Maybe I don't. It's good. My marriage is good. My kids are good. Things are going well. I've been working on this book I told you about last time we were yeah. we were on. Working on this David book. And so I'm working with an editor. And he writes me back and says, Hey, Jared, this is great. Here's some edits. What do you think? It's it's good. He's like, I need the manuscript. Don't send me another chapter. Send me the manuscript. You know, like give me, give me what you have. And I'm a little, little skittish about sending it. And I'm filling up my pool. And this is what I say to myself, my water pressure sucks. My water pressure, filling up my pool sucks. And I kind of got this feeling, just like, why can't why can't I just have good water pressure? And I thought, Jared. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. If you've got some really good thing, what's going on? So, it just so happens we had men's meeting that night. We get to our men's meeting, and I sit down with this group. I say, "Hey, listen, can I sit in the hot seat for a second? I got some. I just need to process through some stuff." And I tell them everything I just told you, and they all get this smirk on their face, like you are about to, you're about to get lit up. You're about to get lit up. Good. <laughs> That's right. I mean, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to see, you know, what do I, I don't know what's going on here. What do you guys see? And they all got this smirk on their face and this, you know, that look when, when guys they're coming after you, like, sure. I'm, I'm about to get you, you know, and, uh, they lean into me. One guy says, um, uh, what did, uh, what did in the sermon two weeks ago that you said, we have to learn how to live in the uncomfortable? And I said, yeah. One says, what are you afraid of? The other one says, are you putting as much time into this book as God has asked you to put into this book? Or are you neglecting it? If you are neglecting it, why are you neglecting it? What are you scared of? Hey, they just keep keep coming. I mean, they just keep coming at me. And I'm like, oh, son of a gun. Man, this guy says to me, hey, uh, I got a text message a long time ago when I was in crisis. And uh, here's what it says. Everything you need to succeed, Christ has already put inside of you. All you have to do is reach in and grab it, and the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. Jared, do I need to tell you where I got that text message? I said, no, 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 I'm no. I'm good. I got, I got it. They said, listen, are you saying you haven't been working on this book that you are convinced God wants you to work on? I said, that's what I'm saying. And another guy says, so you want contentment without obedience. Is that what you want? Wow. Like, Hey, in that moment I'm like, I I could not be in a better room. I couldn't be in a better room. Isn't that great? Isn't that just it's it's incredible? Fantastic. Absolutely but, incredible. But I,
1: but I gotta tell you, most pastors don't have that. Most pastors don't have a band of brothers. Most men, frankly, don't have a band of brothers. I got that same thing. I'll tell you what, the last people I want to complain to are these guys. And these guys, the guys I'm, it just happens to be that my band of brothers are pretty successful. I told you before, some of them are yeah. NFL and yeah. stuff. You know, pretty successful people. I mean, they're not bothered by talk about pool or, you know, pools or whatever, yeah. flying places and stuff. But they will flat get on my case for any self pity or any kind of laziness or any kind of whining, you know? And so every man's got to have that because he doesn't see himself clearly.
0: Yeah, I keep thinking about that line that you use, that free fire zone, that free fire zone. And, man, that's hard to develop. That's really hard to develop because, I mean, you really have to trust that that guy's not going to go run and hide, you know?
1: Absolutely. You've got to have it. I mean, there's not any area of our lives that we improve without a free fire zone. You know, the the man sitting to your right there only gets better as an athlete when his coaches engage in a free fire zone. They didn't walk up and say, can I, can I address something in your life today? You know, they just right. grabbed his helmet and melt the side of his helmet with yelling at it, you know, or whatever. And that's how that works. And uh, you just can't, we, we, we've got to get back to that. We've got to get back to it in the church. And by the way, every pastor I know uh, is at risk, almost, almost every pastor I know, Because they don't come down off the lofty pulpit, so to speak, and stop sort of being exalted in worship to be with a bunch of guys and just let them let them hit away if they need to. I'm not talking about beating up on them. I'm talking about being able to say what needs to be said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When we uh, men really enjoy the Old Testament. We like, we like what's in the Old Testament, you know? I mean, when you find people outside of that, like that, we kind of like eye for an eye. You know, we like the sex scandals. We like somebody getting murdered and get their head lopped off. Like, that's some stuff we really like. When we get to the New Testament, it's almost like something changes in there, and masculinity looks different, and civilization is, has made a shift somehow. And, and it's almost like we lose we lose some of that. What are some examples of masculinity in the New Testament that maybe we've been missing as pastors and as men?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, and you know, the, the problem is, of course, the way we read the New Testament. Mm-hmm. We read it religiously. We don't read it like our, new ta- like our newspapers. Now, I, I understand we have to read it religiously and with faith. But just consider the life of Jesus for a moment. I'm not preaching. This is a life that really inspires me. Jesus was hunted every day of his life. People were trying to kill him every day of his life. He had to be taken away from his hometown and and raised in the mountains so that people couldn't kill him and get to him. Uh, His own family thought he was nuts when he started his ministry. uh, His family showed up trying to take him away from where he was preaching. Uh, Why, it says in the Bible, because they thought he was out of his mind. His father probably died while he was a young man. Joseph leaves the story, as you guys know. Uh, fairly early in the whole thing uh, He's betrayed by his best friends But he also has rowdy time with his friends For three years he's with a bunch of stinky fishermen They're breaking wind, they're arguing They're messing around, they're throwing him in the lake You know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. But still that some of them betray him uh, It goes on and on and on And so when you start, not just I'm not just talking about the cross In those six hours, but I'm talking about his whole life He's a man, he's fasting He's living in the wilderness Just I, I have a scholar friend who once tracked How far Jesus has just recorded to have walked during the time of the entire gospel account. It's miles and miles and miles and miles. He's hiking, he's walking everywhere. He's living in the wild. This is manly stuff, what he has to battle, what he has to deal with, not just physically, but in his soul, being betrayed. His own brothers taunted him and said, you know, if you want to be famous, you should go to Jerusalem. Mm. The Bible says in the very next line, because they didn't really believe in him. His own brothers. So this is a guy who suffered, this is a guy who had opposition, this is a guy who was despised, this is a guy who had enemies trying to kill him, and that's all before we even get to the quote-unquote Passion Week, you know, that last week in Jerusalem. So there's an example. Another guy I really admire is Cornelius. Now some folks may not remember who Cornelius is, but in Acts 10, Cornelius is a Roman centurion. Mm. But he's kind to the Jews, got a heart for the Jews, so to speak. He gives a lot of money to the Jews for their synagogue and so on. He's a man after God's heart. But he's a soldier man he's a roman soldier he's tough he can kill any of these people if he wants to um but he's kind and polite um and so quite frankly the gentile pentecost that you know the 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 outpouring of the holy spirit that's not for the jews exclusively as the one in jerusalem was uh happens in his living room because he's a faithful man an angel shows up and says your gifts to the poor." have come up before God as a memorial offering. This man's a soldier, he's a man of character, he's a man of generosity. He even sends a soldier to go get Peter so that Peter can preach in his living room and and the gentile Pentecost can happen. So there are there are lots of men in the New Testament, but what we what we have to do, if I may be blunt, is we got to take a little time and meditate about these people's lives. Think about them. Think about Paul, man. You know, Paul is hacking people to death. Then he gets knocked on his butt off of a horse on the Damascus Road, and God says, you know, I'm, I'm, you know there's no just as I am playing. You know, there's no <laughs> there's no sweet music. You know, get up, I've got something for you to do. Get into, you know, that kind of thing. He lives blind for the first few days of his Christian life. He goes on and on and on. He's almost killed a bunch of times. And it just I mean, but we gotta take time and think through what's going on and think about these people being flesh and blood human beings. So the over-spiritualizing of the New Testament, the reading the stories in a religiously way without taking a moment to go, what did Paul really endure? He was beaten. He was almost killed and ostracized and rejected <laughs> I've been in the prison that he was in. You, maybe you've been to Jerusalem, too, or I'm sorry, Rome, too, and been to the prison. It's a hole in the ground, man. It's a cave. He was there for years. That, that's manly stuff. So mm. we got to think differently about the stuff in the New Testament. I think we'll find it just as exciting and just as much manly as the Old Testament. But we've got kind of a religious veneer over the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I do love that line. And what it does is it, it, it tips me off a little bit, and should tip off other guys, to kind of the nature of God. When 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 the phrase is, I'm supposed to go get Paul? And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to go get Paul. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for me. Yes, you know? That's a great line. I mean, that see, that's to me, and I think for other guys, if they could, if they could get to that place, like, I, that's a god I can worship. One that I know, like, fella, I'm coming after you. You know, yeah. I'm not gonna let you be sorry. I'm not. Yeah. You're gonna get it. You know, I'm gonna line you out. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. Thank you for thank you for talking through some of that. I
2: feel that when I'm, I'm I don't know I feel weird just interjecting. No, you wouldn't. When I'm talking about like football players and stuff. You know, trap guys. These are the manliest guys you can find, right? Guys, go 700 pounds, or you know, but the only thing they can tell me about Jesus is that he loves me, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like we've we've we haven't taught them anything, yeah. and so they probably grew up going to Bible school and they probably grew up doing the whole thing, but
1: yeah.
2: they don't want anything to do with it. They're man, the manliest dudes in the world, right? Yeah, right? right, maybe, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to wake up on Sunday and get told someone loves them. I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, true. That exactly, terrible.
1: and that's and that's why we've got to tell these stories to the next generation. We yes. got to we got to take these Bible stories, these <clears> cute little Sunday school stories, and tell them as they are. Like you just mentioned, a, a man who God said, "Go, go lay hands on Paul, so he can see. I've got to show him how much he's going to suffer." Well, think about that, dude. Hold up, Paul's killing all the Christians. He's hacking people to death, right? And God says, "Dude, go lay hands on Paul." And the guy even says back, you know, Lord, he's killing everybody, right? (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, we can make that a humorous moment in a sermon, but think about the manhood of that. You know, think about the risk of that. Think about what's going on. And, uh, you know, Mm. that's why, you know, we're we're talking about a world back to Jesus for a moment. You know, he's teaching along and suddenly he says, that's why you guys are trying to kill me. He's talking to people in the Mm -hmm.
2: crowd. That's Mm -hmm. how
1: dramatic this is. And if we really get a great movie one day of the life of Jesus, it's going to be that kind of mud, blood, beer, (laughs) guts. And. You know, because it was real stuff. So Uh, yeah, I'm with you. But I get excited about these stories because I think the Bible is the best uh, book or the best manual for manhood. But we just read it like a now I lay me down to sleep kind of Sunday school story without realizing what it's really about.
0: Are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start? At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible foundation, and commitment to service prepare students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College, your mission is out there your training starts here. One of the things we've done here is we've tried to push a masculine culture and not, not by just, not because we like MMA and we wear affliction t-shirts, you know, that are two sizes too small. I'm not talking about, you know, but one of the things that we've done is we've, we've really purposely reached in and grabbed some of the difficult things of scripture. So inside our sanctuary, we've, we've, We've hung banners of our mission statement. Well, one of them, one of them, is a is a picture of brass knuckles um, hanging inside inside the sanctuary. And one of the things that happens is people come in and and they say, uh, "Are those are those brass knuckles hanging on the on the banner?" It's like, "Yeah, they are." Can you explain that to me? Like, yes, we can we can explain that to you. Here's what it is. Paul said, I beat my body and I make it a slave, right? And so we talk about the passage. This is what it means. Well, if you go to the Greek, one of the things about the Greek is it says, I black my own eye and I put me in shackles. And so then the question becomes, is there any aspect of your life to where you need to black your own eye and handcuff yourself in the back seat so that that guy doesn't get a hold of the steering wheel? Any part of your life that needs that. Yeah, dude, like there's probably a lot of areas in my life. Okay. Then this is the right place. This is the right place for you because that's the thing we care about. If we let the guy from the backseat get up here and get a hold of the steering wheel, we run everybody around us. We're going to make something. We're going to create something today. Maybe destruction. Um, maybe good things, you know, but we're going to create something today. And that's, that's been the really cool part for us on our end is being able to try to push that idea. Um, of course, we're in a world that, you know, masculinity's kind of got a, a bad name at this point.
1: Right, exactly. But I think I think you're absolutely right. When it comes to churches, you've got to overemphasize it in that direction. I mean, you know, I wrote a book called Killing Jesus, and uh, when I broke down what happened in the crucifixion, what happened in his scourging, what happened in, the, in that horrible, bloody walk through Jerusalem, what happened on the cross, I mean, at the natural level. I mean, yeah, because I'm a Christian, it moves me spiritually, and it moves me for what my Lord suffered but there's also a manly story there, and and I got to tell you, you summon something from men when you tell it the way it is. Mm. And so I, I I admire what you're doing. I, I really do. I think it's I think it's valuable, and that's what we've got to do. We've got we've got a handle on how to reach women in churches. That's going well. Most churches are majority women, and if you as you and I've talked about before, if you have a men's a, a women's event, ninety percent of the women in the church show up. Man, they just bond instantly. But you have a men's event, you're lucky to get five percent of the men in the church. And yeah. that's because we haven't we haven't built a culture that's attractive to men. But what we're talking about right now is part of it. Uh, yeah. Men will show up for something that's not lay, I, lay, now I lay me down to sleep, but that challenges them as men.
0: Yeah, one of the things we've experienced just just for for other listeners, this was this was kind of cool for us. We don't have open we don't have open invitation to men's Bible studies. Like we don't, we don't say, hey, men's Bible study is going to meet on Wednesday morning. What we do is we go find guys inside the congregation and we invite that guy, we invite that guy, we invite that guy. And then we go on because of the exclusivity part, you know, you know, who's going to show up to an open invitation to your men's Bible study on in the morning. Probably dudes that don't need your men's Bible study that at that hour in the morning. Probably that's that's who's that's who's going to show up, you know, but there's a different deal if it's. I want you, and I want you, and I want you. I think there's something. I think there's something there that is going to make me stronger, make you stronger. But guys will show up for that. We've watched that happen for years. They will show up for that meeting. You know. That's right. Uh, that's right. You know, that's that's a that's been a cool thing. Been a cool thing. Well, so.
1: and I think you and I talked about it before the art of the indirect connection is really part yeah. of that too. You know, men just don't bond well by looking each other in the eye and going, "How you feeling, Joe? You know, <laughs> tell me about your, your wee wee." You know let's 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 sacrifice an animal let's watch a game let's do i'm not saying yeah. that's all we do we get to know each other that way yeah and then and the stuff of god the things of god the things of our souls the things of our chat the challenge of our generation you know they come up men men love that kind of stuff the yeah. guy i think i mentioned this before the guy who does this best uh is a guy who pastors a church called Mana church his name is uh michael fletcher he's right outside of fort bragg and because he's got such a you know fort bragg of course being a special forces uh you know, post, he's got about ten thousand people. He decided years ago, I'm going to build a church leaning towards men, and it'll serve women well. So whereas most churches have eighty percent of their staff jobs uh, occupied by women, he made them occupied by men, and he's done something amazing. I think I think now he's up in the twelve thousand range. That's and awesome. It, it's a church totally turned towards men. and I mean, it, it serves women massively, but it's because they benefit from turning towards men. And he does it right. I'm really proud of him. And I think other pastors can do the same thing. They just haven't been taught.
0: That's really great. Well, he might be a good one I should I should reach out to, have some you conversation you with. You should.
1: And by the way, one of the questions we ought to ask since we're all talking about preachers and churches here is, uh, <clears throat> does anyone even know of a course in a Christian school, much less in a seminary? Uh, on men 's psychology men 's ministry the challenge of men today what 's going on in our generation I mean the statistics are horrifying nobody should be able nobody should be able to get out of a school that prepares them for leadership in a church without having to have at least a what they used to call a mini master or a mini course of some sort on men 's psychology the challenge of men what 's going on etc and the most most effective techniques for ministering to men absolutely not but that happens all the time and you, you and I know it
0: yeah. No, I don't know of anything. I don't know of anything. Class that that's yeah, this like that. I don't
1: that. either. I mean, you maybe know. one of your uh, watchers and <clears throat> viewers and listeners will tell us about that. But I don't know of anything. And I'm out. I'm out there speaking in a lot of these schools, yeah. trying to stir up trouble and trying to get them to do this stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, that would be a that would be a good one. We ought to, There's a couple. There's a couple of local schools here. We we've probably got some decent connection with. We ought to. We ought to push and see if we can't if we can't get that done because it would be it would be very very helpful, especially ministry schools. It'd be very yeah, helpful.
1: At least a night or a weekend or something during the course of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the crisis of manhood in our generation is one of the worst crises that we've got going anywhere. Men's suicide rate is at an all-time high. So you can't throw people into ministry and not tell them this stuff, and then, yet most schools don't have it. So anyway, I know I'm thinking of a fight there. but I'm No, I don't
0: think th- it's great. I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. That's perfect.
2: I'm a preacher's kid, and I can attest to that. Well, my dad's one of the manliest men I know, and Jared could probably say that too. But even as a preacher's kid, your dad's everyone else's. Yeah. yeah. Everyone else is coming to your dad and you know sometimes you're like well i wish i could have some of you know and and they don't have any idea you know i, I think that a lot of they miss that sometimes they're men i mean sometimes for me i'm 23 i don't know how to take that next step into manhood you know right as a preacher's kid yeah. you know what i'm saying like yeah. i think that would be something maybe they could talk about yeah. well. like, <laughs> right. well, I mean, abs- absolutely i gotta tell
1: you too that no man in the church least of all the pastor should be raising his sons alone i mean it, it really does take a village so if i'm in your church yeah, I want your dad to be a good dad to you, but I've also got my eyes on you. I'm also going to come talk to you. I'm, we want to initiate the young men into a, into a noble culture of manhood that pervades the whole church. So your dad doesn't have to do that alone. If he's in a busy season or having a hard time or has to be on the road a lot or whatever, I pull in with you. Others pull in with you. We kick your butt. We challenge you. Uh, you know, we, we get in the middle of it. That's That's how it works.
0: Yeah, I found a uh, found a kid in our in our church just graduated high school not long ago. Uh, got him a copy of got a co- got him a copy of your book. Uh, took him to lunch and I said, "Listen, I said I need to need to talk to you. I have not done a, I've not done a good job as a pastor in reaching out to you, and um, uh, I think you're the I think you're the linchpin. I think you are the linchpin." for growth inside your family. He's got a good mom. He's got a good dad. But I said, I think, I think you're going to see some massive growth happen inside your family. Um, if we can get you into a healthy place, into a healthy place. And he said, okay. And I said, so first I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I should have done this earlier in your life and I didn't do it. it. I felt like I would be intrusive to do it. Um, but you're 17 years old. And so now we're going to do this thing. Second thing, I want you to be praying right now. I want you to ask God for confidence in your life. That's this is the thing you need. You need massive amounts of confidence because He doesn't have any confidence. Your sure. so third thing is this: What's your thing? Be praying. What is your thing? What is your thing? I said, okay, okay, um, I'll do it. I left. I went out of town. I was in Colorado for a week. Uh, when I came back, I said, uh, I said, so let's talk. You know, I gave you a little workout plan. Before then, what do you what do you see? What's happened? What's going on? He. He took this notebook that I gave him and he went through and he made a list of things that he'd been praying for. And all of a sudden here's what I see and this is this is the coolest thing. The list started small. I'm praying for confidence and what's my thing. But by the time we got down to the other end, it's got I walk this many miles. And also I'm studying on this deal here because I want to take the driving test. And I'm going to do like <laughs> instantly, like instantly sure. just started to started sure. to grow. You know, incredible. Absolutely incredible. You
1: know, well, that's the way that's the way the male soul works, which is why we can have a greater impact than we think we can have. You know, I mean, I appreciate all the kind things you're saying about this book, but it's it's one book. But you put that truth into men's souls, and it amplifies. They take it. They run with it. They expand it. They do things. People are always telling me stuff they did because of my books. I don't. I never even thought about what, they, what they've done. The kind of stuff, they're, the way they're responding, is like news to me. But they took core truths and had that planted in their souls, and they ran with it. That's what this young man did with you. You planted, you planted some stuff in his life, and then he his soul amplified it. That's the good news, that if we'll, if we'll plant, if we'll coach, if we'll father, these guys especially by the way millennials will run with it in a way that we've never dreamed
0: oh they're hungry aren't they I are mean, oh, hungry are not they i are hungry for
1: yeah. it and they're also creative i mean they're just creative you know like i you know i mean i'm an, I'm a slightly older guy i'm old enough to be a lot of these guys grandfather but uh i had a big meeting here at a frankly at this, this some people are gonna be disturbed by this but i decided to have a big men's meeting at a great big bar uh in nashville so i closed the had the bar closed And had the guys come. It just was a space I could use. It wasn't like we were, I was trying to push alcohol and young guys came to that and got lit up. Well, the next thing I know, they're doing massive drum circles of manhood you know, and things like this that my generation never thought about. What is a drum circle? I don't have a clue. But I mean, they were doing it. They were having a ball and there were bagpipes and there was a sack and everything in the world going on. And I'm like, okay, dudes, go for it, man. But I hadn't thought about any of that stuff. And that's that's the beauty of this thing. Man, let's let us let us let the next generation run, but let's 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 send them out with power and strength. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, sex has always been a staple of the masculine conversation. It's always been whether it's um, bragging about what you've conquered uh, and who you've conquered. Um, it's always been it's always been a thing inside of that. When we come to scripture. When we come to Scripture, we don't hear we don't hear much conversation about sexuality, even even when it comes to Jesus. We don't see much of sexuality in inside of that. Um, do you think the lack of and I don't know the best way to say this, the lack of sexuality that we see in Jesus? Do you think that that is that is such a perfect thing? I mean, this is how I interpret it for our broken culture when it comes to sexuality, because sexuality is such a screwed up thing where we are now, you know? And Jesus' exactly. lack of it, it seems like that is, like that's almost, that's almost perfect that that's so absent inside of Scripture.
1: Yeah, it's absent and then it's not. Again, there are, there are things that are said in Scripture. we got to take a moment, you know, we're supposed to meditate on Scripture. Take a moment and think about what that means. What does it mean that Jesus was tempted in all ways mm-hmm. as I am? He's not some spirit floating around. He's a guy who's eating. He drank enough wine that people criticized him and said he's a drunk. I mean, I don't think he was getting drunk. I'm just saying they're, exp- they're may- expanding that. So I'm going to be a little bit graphic here, but I, I promise not to be unclean. You know, Jesus at least had to think about what a nice pair of breasts meant. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he was tempted at every last little dirty detail of every human being sure, on the planet. Sure, sure. But I am saying he had to deal with lust so he could conquer it. Right. So he knows what it's like to lay in bed at night and be a little lonely. He probably knows yeah. what it's like to lay in bed at night and think about doing things to himself. Uh, mm-hmm. He probably definitely knows what it's like to look at a good-looking woman. You understand what I'm saying? So yes. it's there. We just need to break it out. The New Testament is like condensed truth. The Old Testament is like expanded truth. And the New mm-hmm. Testament, you got to rely on the Holy Spirit and some meditation to think about this. So, you know, I see Jesus as a flesh and blood, and he's fully man. And one of the things that excites yeah. me is that sitting at the right hand of God right now is a, <laughs> is a man. And he turns to the Father and he says, look, Stephen's having trouble here because this is how this feels.
0: Been right? there. I've been when, there.
1: When that woman wears that really low-cut thing, that's what's going on. Let's, right. get the, let's have the Holy Spirit give him some strength in this particular way. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing. He's an advocate for us. He's an intercessor for us because he's been down here. And he knows what too much wine is, what that temptation feels like. He knows what uh, the power temptations feel like. He knows what lust feels like. I'm quite sure those guys who were hiding him, he wanted to punch their lights out. Yeah, and sure. remember, you know, the the profession his profession was not just carpentry; it was stonemason. So this mm-hmm. dude was buff. This dude was like the, you know, the, the blacksmith in the American West. You know, just pumped arms and everything because he hurled rock around and big logs and stuff. So it, uh, he wasn't he wasn't absent masculinity. I'm sure he wanted to punch a lot of people out. What yeah. do you think he was praying for in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, of the <laughs> I want to kill these dudes. Right. You know. So I'm not trying to make him too human, but I think sure. that sometimes. We've got to let just a brief mention of something in the Gospels or the Bible lapse over the whole story. I I see Jesus, even though there's not much mention of sexuality, there's no question uh, that he saw it, thought about it, was at least for a second tempted by it. And that's why he knows what Stephen needs when he walks through the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for diving into that. I appreciate that. That's really good. That's really good.
1: Um, I I should say real quickly, if I can interrupt you. The other thing is, though, that for a man, everything is related to sex. Sure. So if you tell, if you come to me like the devil did to Jesus and say, look, I can, I'm going to make you powerful. Well, that in my soul is connected to sex. If I'm 18, you tell me I'm going to be powerful, I'm thinking, I'll get girls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I not 18, but I'm yeah. saying that's, that's what a man thinks. Oh, really? I'm going to be able to rule over the nations of the earth? Huh, I'll get women. You know, everything in some way is connected to sex uh, when it comes to a man's soul. So all those temptations in the wilderness that Jesus went through, we're in some distant or secondary way connected to sex as they are in man's soul
0: yeah well that's the next question for me the next question that I'm that I'm that I'm curious about is we see these temptations and the way they're preached <laughs> there's it's so bad like it's so bad here it is okay Stephen I don't know if you've ever been tempted like Jesus like you've looked at rocks and thought man I'm so hungry I'd like to turn them into bread like th- come on really that if you've ever climbed upon the top of something high and thought, You should jump off and see if, come that's not, I get that there's the temptation, like I see that part of it, but take me behind the temptation, you know, take me behind that thing to the next thing. Like, what am I really going to get? That's what you just said.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Let's just think about it for a moment. Satan tempted Jesus and said, if you worship me, I'll give you the splendor of the nations, (laughs) which has been delivered to me. It was something Adam had that got lost to Satan. Well, what's the splendor of the nations include? My guess is it has to do with portions my guess is it has to do with dancing babes yeah. my guess it has to do with massive steaks and great big bottles of whiskey and mm-hmm. massive houses and you know what i'm talking about i'm being sure a point sure. but but i mean the splendor of the nations this is ranches this is vineyards this is swimming pools with babes adorning around the edge of it this is yeah. the splendor and all the beauty of all the nations and all the wealth and all the stuff a man can enjoy That's what Satan tempted him with. Again, we got to take a moment think about what was being said. He didn't just say, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you a church, you know, in the backwaters of Texas. That's not what he said. He said, I'll give you the splendor of the nations. What does that include? Every glorious, everything on the lifestyles of the rich and disgusting on television, everything we see in the magazines, everything, you know. And so he was being tempted with all of it, including sex. Yeah. And um, and, he, and he battled it the right way. So no, I've never been tempted to turn a stone into bread. I have been tempted to pummel you for a sandwich. I was so hungry, you know. <laughs> right. so, you know that's what that's that's what we've got to realize is, is working there.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, uh, when I look at some of those, one of the things that I, I see a few things. What's behind some of these temptations? I see self reliance. You know, yep. this thing of like, I'm going to make my own way. Here's another thought. I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry and I'm tired and I'm lonely, uh, it's what it's what the 12-steppers, they kind of step into this thing called halt. You know, you need to check yourself, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you yes. find yourself hungry, angry, that might be part of the reason that you're, that you're feeling triggered on some level. Jesus is fasting and <laughs> he's hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Right. You know? This guy is, he is vulnerable, you know, and so self-reliance, I mean, the other need for affirmation, need for adventure, you know, need something to push that dopamine button again, that's, you see that with so many guys, like, I need to push the dopamine button, but listen, here's what your job is, to talk ladies off the ledge and type at your computer all the time, of course you need to find a way to push the dopamine button, you're bored to tears, you know bored to tears.
1: And we also have to be very careful to fight against the things that make us feel entitled. When I'm bitter, I feel entitled. When somebody wrongs me, Mm -hmm. I feel entitled, right? Uh, These people wronged me. I'll I'll eat what I want. I'll buy what I want. I'll drink what I want. I'll speak to them in any rude way I want to. You know, I mean, you know, I, I... one of my favorite examples is Richard Nixon during the horrible days of Watergate. What, what does he do? He gets on his knees in the Oval Office, starts beating the floor, talking about how they're treating him. Well, who was they? It wasn't the Democrats at the time during Watergate. It's the people who picked on his Quaker family back in California when he was a little boy because mm-hmm. the soul has a memory like an elephant. So his bitterness from his childhood made him feel entitled to do wrong things that almost ruined our country permanently. And so that the same thing happens with our lives. Uh, whatever goes on here, if, if my wife wrongs me, I feel entitled to mistreat her. You know, its right. often, I don't mean that literally, but that, sure, that's the I pattern understand. for us men. <clears throat> so we've got to watch all of that. And Jesus, I think that's why it says that he w- it didn't just say he fasted for 40 days. It said he was hungry. But what happens is when you fast, you're hungry initially, then the hunger goes away. And then when you, when your body's feeding on itself, you get hungry again at the end of yeah. a 40-day fast. He's in an extreme state, and that's when Satan comes and hammers him. Well, mm-hmm sure he's feeling entitled i can turn this forest into a feast right now with one word um but that's not that's not what he chose to do and that gives us the chance to have victory over that same stuff
0: yeah uh i I think uh i can't remember the author um in talking about the enneagram if you're familiar with the enneagram what they call what they call shadow work doing some of the shadow work you're talking about nixon it made me think of the shadow work and Nixon needing to go back and deal with some of the bitterness, deal with some of the roots of some of that stuff. Like you have got to be, uh, Jordan Peterson, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, if, if you, if you, and I can't remember how he says it, something along the lines of, um, you better know your most malevolent self. You need to be, you need to be very familiar with your most malevolent self. The part of you that really wants to, that's a safe man, a safe man is a man who is in touch with his level of malevolence that he knows that he can go he can go and just really destroy something. That guy is a safe guy. The guy that is not safe is a guy has no idea what's on the other side of that in the shadows, you know.
1: And Jerry, you know, we're we're look we're living in a world now where that malevolent self is torturing our society. You and I are recording this shortly after there have been mm. two unbelievably vile, ridiculous shootings in malls, one in Dayton, Ohio and one in um, El Paso, Texas, and um, you know, in one case, I mean, one guy was pulling the political left, the other guy was pulling the political right. there's hardly a pattern, but in both cases, these guys gave in to their demons, they gave in to their malevolent self, and one of the guys, we're told, now the police are saying, he just was hungry and decided to stop off in that particular mall, and while he was there, he decided to shoot up the place, that's that's how happenstance it was, and so uh, we've got a world that's being tortured, largely by young men, uh, who cannot get on top of their malevolent self, and it's destroying our society. Mm. And that's more of an issue, I have to say, quite frankly, than than Muslim terrorists or other kinds of terrorists in the world. Young, unfathered, untethered, undisciplined, unprincipled, white, I, I'll say it as a, as a white sure. man, um, sure. the white young men uh, of the kind you and I are trying to fix all the time. They're the guys torturing our society more than some of the people that we tend to talk about, as being the big baddies, you know, the big monsters. It's actually coming out of our own society that this is that this disease, this plague, uh, is doing the kind of things that we had done this past weekend.
0: Do I have a role and a responsibility to father the young men around me who, um, who I see uh, going astray? Do I have that responsibility in my life?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that makes <clears throat> people crazy is when we have one of these shootings, there are always people around this young man saying, well, I knew something was wrong, I just didn't know what to do. I attend a largely African American church in Washington D.C., and my African American friends have got this phrase out there. I love it. it they always say, "Get a hand on a man. Get a hand on a man," and that's their kind of code or fun way of saying, uh, you know, don't don't just walk alone. Get a hand on a man. Find out what's going on in the guy's life. If you get your hand on him, you're touching him. If you're if you're eating a burger with him, if you're looking in his eyes, you're going to know what's going on. And most of these shooters, most of these guys who shoot up schools and campuses and malls like this last weekend. They're lonely. They're they're kind of they're 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 kind of the uh, uh, you know the nonconformists, the the outcast, the kid that's on the margins, kind of thing. If someone had just gotten a hand on them, if someone had pulled them in, invited them to a pool, invited them to a to a dinner, sat down with them, walked with them, met them in school, if someone had just stepped into their lives, I'm convinced a lot of this stuff would have been cut off. Mm. Uh, the crisis of male loneliness is turning into a crisis of male violence, both in the form of suicide and in the form we saw this last weekend. So I think every man's got that obligation. And that's why what we've got to do together is build a contagious culture of noble manhood and then initiate the boys into it. I certainly want you as an individual, of course, as a pastor, to be reaching into the lives of young men. But better that you've got 100 men who together are building a noble culture of you manhood and you're bringing these young men into a culture that where they can they can be Loved and where they fit and where they can be initiated uh, and where they can be brought up to be great men.
0: Yeah, it's so good. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking about that. What are some of the things that we're going to see as uh, from a historian's perspective? Um, as the pendulum swings, you've 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 watched how culture goes from one side to the other. We went we went Barack Obama. We went Donald Trump. Um, when we see and what we see in masculinity within the church, what, how's the pendulum going to swing in the future? What's going to unfold for the, ch- the the church next?
1: Well, there are many trends that are going to happen. <clears throat> One of the most important for us is, as you know, there's this kind of animosity towards manhood. All manhood is considered to be toxic masculinity, um, and so you've got a dynamic gay movement. You've got a movement away from traditional models of manhood. You've got a, you know, a, a feminine vision of manhood. But I'll tell you what, you've, you've just put your finger right on one of the most important trends in understanding societies, and that is that the pendulum swings. The pendulum swings. And while right now we're talking about yet letting young boys at a young age alter themselves surgically, we've got a dynamic gay movement and all that kind of stuff, the fact is uh, people are not going to find fulfillment in this. Men need to be men. Now, they don't need to be toxic men. They don't need to be damaging men. They don't need to be vile men. Uh, but they do need to be men. So what's going to happen is we're going to have this movement away from noble manhood now. Call it what you will, great manhood, righteous manhood. And what's going to happen is our society is going to swing back. They're going to want to know what, what what manhood is. They're going to need it, especially given what's happening in our society. I mean, even the secular press is saying, where were the men and the lives mm-hmm. of these mm-hmm. shooters this past weekend? Yeah. Well, you know, John Eldridge would say, you've made them all women, <laughs> you know. And so... Uh, I think what's going to happen is we're going to see the pendulum swing. that's one thing that's true about all social movements. You always see the pendulum swing. An interesting little sidelight. Just been watching this week some of the TV shows about uh, Woodstock, that concert that happened in 1969 that defined a gen- the generation of boomers. Well, the boomers, who started out as hippies making love in the mud, you know, while the uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, you know, performed on stage... Uh, what did they become? They became, they became yuppies. They became investors. They became millionaires. They became wealthy. They became you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. They, they made a total total pendulum swing. And that's what happens in society. So we need to be ready for when society, we need to be, first of all, influencing everybody we can as much as we can, like you just said, get a hand on a man. But also realizing our society is going to swing back and they're going to need models of noble manhood. And we better be ready not only to describe it, but to teach people how to incorporate it into their lives
0: yeah which the lack of masculinity in the home uh, in in the church in the community in society how much does that affect um, if we can dive into this the LGBTQ um, the the, the uh, when we're talking about kids surgically changing themselves um, at an at' an, Early age, you're talking crazy early. I mean, yeah, or, or with hormones. What? How do those two things come together? How do they are, are they are, is there a connection between the two?
1: There's absolutely a connection, and, and uh, because I live in DC, and uh, I'm not bragging, but my, majority of my friends are black. I, I, I'm in touch with the statistics about black families in America. The majority of families don't have a male in the home, mm-hmm. a, you know, a father figure in the home. In the African American community, it's seventy percent nationwide. No male figure in the home. They've also begun to do research to show that when a divorce happens, often it's normally the young male who is the most affected. Uh, the family splits, the child is left with the mother. The mother's usually mad at men because she's just been through a bad divorce against the kid's father. There's no one in the home then to model normal manhood, to call out masculinity in this young man's soul. So you have that feeds then the gay tendency. It feeds the uh, the gay movement in America. And so there's no question that a lack of men in the home who can call out noble manhood, and then a bitterness towards the misbehaving men, uh, however justified, still it's a bitterness towards misbehaving men, mm-hmm. uh, creates an environment in which young men don't know who they are, their primary models are women. So you have at the least a feminine kind of version of masculinity, if not a full-on commitment to, to gay or transgender, that kind of thing. So there's no question There's a there's a direct connection, and that's why churches need to be calling out men yeah, challenging families have the Doctor Dobson kind of focus on the family perspective in the church, but you've got to focus on men because they're the key to the thing. The, God knows yeah. the women, the heroic women, have kept this stuff together for many, many years. Thank God for the grandmas. Thank God for the single moms who have made this stuff work. They they need to be yeah. lauded, but we, but the church needs to be putting the onus on men, and it'll fix a, that'll fix a lot of this trend in our society.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, I often say. I think there are a lot of people in the world who are a couple of stiff drinks and a shot of loneliness away from being gay anyway.
1: Yeah, there's no question. There's no question.
0: That's the loudest voice inside of us. Yeah. yeah. Loneliness.
1: Exactly. And it doesn't have a whole lot to do with leaning feminine. It has a whole lot to do with there being uh, no moral boundaries on sex. Mm. I mean, uh, I don't mean to be too graphic here, but we know that truck drivers uh, many of them, just out of convenience, lean towards gay sex, even if they wouldn't describe themselves as gay. I'm not saying all truck drivers, obviously. <laughs> I'm saying of course. in truck driver culture, this is a trend that just because they want to get satisfied, they're willing to have what would normally be, well, sex with another man, or, or gay sex in essence, even though they don't consider themselves gay. They've just simply taken the moral boundaries off of sex. Well, as our society does that, as people increasingly consider themselves bi, as the goal is just to get satisfied, then you're gonna you're, you're exactly right. One shot of whiskey, one bad day, one firing, uh, one willing male away from uh, at least acting like they're gay if they're not actually in their souls gay. Yeah, and um, that's that's what's going on in our society.
0: Yeah, it seems that it seems that loneliness and that that deep connection for loneliness, we will settle for almost anything that smells like, looks like, tastes like, might be impersonates true intimacy on some level
1: it's what it's, uh, that's the lesson we're learning from prisons that's the lesson we're learning from some parts of trucker culture that's a lesson that we're learning from some parts of the military even yeah uh, get a man lonely enough get him isolated get him with only other males as an opportunity for sexual fulfillment and that has almost always arisen in history and that I mean you know as you probably know in the roman empire it was common right. for soldiers to have sex with each other right? yeah. was standard practice and I uh, don't mean to banter on that too much, but that's that's, sure. what that's what's happening in our society.
0: Well, in the book The Twelve Caesars, I mean, that's when it comes back to when people say, "Oh, it's so bad, the culture's so bad." It's like, have you read The Twelve Caesars? Yeah, you know,
1: we're not we're not there yet, but we're on that path.
0: No yeah, 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 no joke. Well, thank you for thank you for being willing to to dive into some of that. I know some of that's pretty some some of that's pretty touchy. Um, um, if we can if we can take a, a slight turn when it comes to the Enneagram. What have, have you, have you taken an assessment? Have you, um, how, how far into it have you, have you dove?
1: Not a lot for myself, but my wife is into it. So she has announced to me that I'm a three. Um, and, okay. uh, that's, that's, that's good. You know, she's described what that is and read it to me that uh, I'm a three. And I believe she said, I have a lean towards being a nine. Okay. Uh, and I don't think I let her finish telling me what a nine was. I just assumed it was awesome. So right. I just uh, assume that I'm a three, leaning towards just being freaking awesome. Yeah. And so, um, uh, anyway, though, I'm, I'm a three, and it, helped, it did help me. What you described helped me a lot, but I'm, no, I'm certainly no expert on the Enneagram. One of my dear friends, Ian Cron, who's here in, in my yeah. hometown, uh, is an expert on it. And when he talks to me at, you know, about it over Indian food, my eyes glaze over, but I, but I think it's <laughs> valuable stuff.
0: Well, I just sent in uh, an email the other day asking him to be on the show so that I could talk about preaching through the lens of the Enneagram, but I haven't heard back from him. So if you see him, you tell him, I really want to really have
1: this conversation I'll tell, I'll tell with him. I'll tell him to so. call it, brother. No question about it.
0: That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Well, uh, Steve Mansfield, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this. Levi, thank you for joining us on this as well. And um, I'll let you get back to your day. Thank you for your time. Thank you for what you're doing. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime.
1: Levi, Jared, I look forward to it, guys.
0: God bless. The new theme song for the Homeless podcast is provided by Ina Bluma. I want to thank Stephen Mansfield and Levi Wyrick for joining me on today's episode. My band of brothers and I have a phrase. It probably isn't original to us, but it doesn't make it any less impactful. Never be the best guy in the room. If you suck at finances, find a guy who's good at it and learn from them. If you're terrible at communication, find a guy and ask him to teach you. If you're bad at romance, Do the same. Parenting, working out, whatever the category of life, find somebody who is better than you and learn something from them. There is no doubt that during this interview, I have accomplished just that today. Scripture says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you don't have other men in your life who you can draw from in a deep and personal way, fellas, you're not complete. You're not complete. Jared, what are you going on about? What are you ranting about? Here it is. Here it is. When we were kids, we hung out. We built forts, tree houses. It's no different today. When you and your homies get together, you need a place to go. One of the places we go is my buddy Mike's shop. But we sometimes refer to it as the crag of wild goats. All right. But the other place we go is El Guapo's Cigar and Pipe Lounge in Joplin, Missouri. Not into cigars or pipes? Okay, what about cornhole? What about axe throwing? What about old school shuffleboard? What about stand-up comedy? See, this place drips with masculinity. So if you make it over to Southwest Missouri, you get over into the Joplin area, Look up my buddy Alex at El Guapo's Cigar and Pipe Lounge. You mention the Homeless podcast to him, and he'll give you 10% off of nearly everything. So that's a good reason to stop in. El Guapo's Cigar and Pipe Lounge in Joplin, Missouri. El Guapo's Cigar and Pipe Lounge. Be a man. All right. Thank you, Alex. We appreciate you that's it for today. If you're preaching this weekend, know that I'm thinking of you and I'm praying for you. So long.